This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For your free trial, plus 10% off anything you buy, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. <laughs> you should you should have been listening to Born Slippy. I'm totally pumped now. Are you pumped? Drive boy, dog boy, dirty in the manger boy in the door. Is this helping at all? <laughs> she was a lipstick boy. She was a beautiful boy and tears boy. Does that help? I did my usual... A uh, warm-up routine. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Uh, which is that I listened to Elliot Smith's Waltz Number Three on the way in, <laughs> and was uh, uh, again reduced to tears. Waltz Number Three. I know Waltz Number Two, including the chords. Oh right, but I Waltz don't Number know Two. Sorry, number... Waltz Number Two. It's oh no, I, no, I keep, he has lots of waltzes. But I keep, I keep, I keep upgrading it to the third waltz. Because I feel like it's really two waltzes. You're talking about Never Gonna Know You Now? That's right. Oh, oh my God. We've talked about this song many times, I uh, feel like. It's, I don't know why that song levels me. I keep plumbing its depths. You know, my interpretation of So what happened was, I, I, you know, I, I borrowed a car from a friend several years ago, which I'm still driving. And <laughs> in the car was a mixtape CD that she made many years before that. And I never figured out where the CD changer was. So I just have this one mixtape in there. It's been in there the whole time? It's been in there the whole time. Wow. About four years that I've had the car. And the second song on the mixtape is terrible. Um, And you could, the first song on the mixtape is Waltz number two. And then you could, you could tell that she wanted to like, get, you know, get back in a happy mood or something. Like, the second song on the tape is like, and now we're going to, like, pop it up. But the second song is, I won't even mention it, it's so terrible that I have never listened to any of the rest of the mixtape. I just, I turn on the, get in the car, I turn on the stereo, I listen to Waltz number two, sometimes I listen to it again, and then I turn the stereo back off. I've been doing that for four years. <laughs> You've never been curious to see what or how to accidentally go on? You've never found yourself no. plumbing the rest of the tape? Because the second song is so bad. As soon as the opening... Sometimes I'll get so lost in a reverie about Waltz number two that I will, I will forget what's coming. And then, the, then the, ne- the opening chords of the next song, like the chords offend me. Before the vocals even come in. <laughs> and because I'm in such a state of waltz number two that, that, that I hear that, that next guitar and I'm just like, die a thousand deaths. And I lunge for the thing. So I have no idea. Maybe the rest of the mixtape is amazing. Maybe there are other songs to discover and plumb their depths, but I, I'll never know. Oh, man. Uh, because I also am, unf- uh, even though I've had this car for four years, I'm unfamiliar enough with the stereo that I don't know how to skip to the next song. But so I've spent all this time inside of this one song, interpreting it and living it 
And, you know, my sense of this song is that he's writing to his stepfather and mother. Yeah, that's, what I, that's also, what I get. And it's also kind of a suicide note. You know, the, the, the bridge is... Here today. Here today, expected, expected to, to stay. stay. On and on and on. <laughs> and I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. tired. So tired. <laughs> and it's just like... Uh, <laughs> Looking but, out on a substitute scene. <laughs> oh, God. But the problem is... That, that I get in the car in the morning and I head out into the world like, all right, don't here we go. I got a lot of shit to do today. And then I listen to this one three and a half minute long song and then I'm kind of useless maybe for the rest of the day. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Is there because, a way to change the tape? <laughs> well, because I feel, I see, I don't know. I don't know. The, the how long only, have you had the car borrowed about now? Four, about four years. Okay. All right. And also, this is not how you listen to music. No, 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 no. Uh, but, but, so the, but the, but additionally, the problem is that I feel like as I've spent all this time with this one song, I feel like it is a perfect work. Mm-hmm. Like he has accomplished in this song a kind of perfection in making a thing. And so it also sends me out when I, when, when I get to my eventual destination, I park the car and I go, what's the point of anything? You know, like, I feel like that's how you know it's working. Yeah, he really made a thing there, and that's really, you know, like it's like it's like a um, it's like a perfect definition of weariness. Like mm-hmm. you know, even when it starts, it starts out with that like the waltziest waltz that don't chat chat. It's the waltziest waltz you've ever heard, and then it's like it sighs its way yeah. into those strummed chords. Ugh, and every, you know it all comes in, and then the goddamn cellos at the very end. He's got what 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 you can only presume if you imagine songs are recorded. If you do, if you imagine as I do that they're that the band that makes the song is all in a room, a la Pet Sounds, and they're sitting there the whole time waiting. And, yeah, there's like six cellos cellists just sitting, and they and they really <laughs> got to want to pack in the whole performance in that. Like it just soars <laughs> through the whole tune. They're just sitting there, and then. <laughs> Wow! Oh, God damn it! No, that that was um, man. I think that's a pretty perfect song. I really yeah. do. But so that's. I mean, I got to get a new routine. I mean, you know, some people get up, they get on the stairmaster, or they get up and they design some apps in the morning. Or yeah, I don't know what sure. people do so to they get call it, going. They call it a, a workflow. Yeah, they get a workflow. Mm-hmm. And my workflow is just like wake up, get in a borrowed car. Listen to the most depressing, perfect song, and then try and make my way to the end of the day. See, now you're going to send me down an Elliott Smith hole, because I, I can't even tell you what my favorite Elliott Smith song is, because it's one of those things where it's, it's almost like the Beatles, um, mm-hmm. which, of which he was obviously a fan, where like, I find myself going, oh, no, no, uh, you know, um, say yes, oh, oh, no, right. uh, you know, high on amphetamines, the moon's a light bulb. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, how did how'd the guy do it? And that, that little line, that, that dong, 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 it's just a, it's a little underplayed, and like, it's so low. Key, you know that? Yeah, that sets the tone, though. If you really want to get up and make an app, you might need something. You might need, put on maybe Amity, one of my least favorite uh, Elliot Smith songs. Oh, Am- oh, I see, and that'll uh, make you make you mad. Get up and make an app. What's the- <laughs> yeah, like, I, I got apps to make. Sometimes you got to get mad at Elliot. Says, you know what it was though? I've, if I heard Amity like you know, on a jukebox in a bar, it would be okay. It's just it's such. I don't even remember which record that's on. I think it's on that record, and it's like it's such a sore thumb on that record. It's that record so, you know, 
it just it comes it comes blaring yeah. out and it always would throw me off when I was well, he's probably he's probably it was experiencing the same thing that the gal that made this mixtape was experiencing, which is like, <laughs> well, I wrote the perfect, I've got the perfect song on here already. The rest of this uh, mixtape should just be this song over and over. But I can't do that. The rest of this album should just be this one song that is that that is the perfect expression of growing up in a household with a detached mother and an abusive stepfather, right? So instead, I should, you know, I should make a song that like gets everybody excited. I used to do something, you know, Ugh. kind of peculiar, which is if I would record uh, a record onto a tape and I had room at the end. Sometimes I'd do a little mix to take up the space, but um, toward the end of the cassette era, I would just take whatever my favorite song was and, and play it on repeat on the CD mm. player to play out. Mm. So I would listen to like minor threats out of step like 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 11 times in a row and i would just i wouldn't get sick of it I, it was just no. it's just a, it's like a perfect blast of a song yeah there's there there are uh there are like 20 second snippets of my bloody valentine that i could just listen to that 20 seconds on repeat for eternity mm. but i wouldn't get anything done Cause because you, you'd I, just disappear into the music yeah, just be out there swelling around. If you're ever going to push out your Starbolt album, you're going to really need to get back in the shed. Starbolt! Starbolt. Starbolt County. Starbolt County. <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by our very good friends over at Squarespace. You know Squarespace. You should. They're the only one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. Guys, they make it all so simple. They have an easy drag-and-drop interface. It has beautiful free templates you can tweak any way you like. All the Squarespace 6 designs are responsive. That means they look great on every device. Squarespace also offers free 24 by 7 support through live email and chat with dedicated teams in New York City, Dublin, and Portland. Now, here's the thing you got to know. John and I have used Squarespace to host Roderick on the Line for three years now. 120 episodes in, they're still just as great to work with as they were on day one. We love working with them, and we really hope you'll give them a try, too. The beauty part is Squarespace plans start at only $8 per month. $8 a month. That includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, which you should totally do. Please remember, tell Squarespace you heard about them from your pals at Roderick on the Line, because listeners of this particular program get a free trial plus 10% off any package that they choose by using the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the Line. We could not do it without him. Yeah, I've been feeling recently that all of the musical stylings of the 70s, have, like the 70s folk scene, have really been explored enough now. I don't want to hear it anymore. I keep turning on the radio or hearing ambient music in stores, and it's just like, it's just exploring that weird little 70s thing that I, 70s folk thing that I feel like we, we kind of had enough of even then. We rejected at the time, and I'm just done. I don't want, I don't want to hear another acoustic guitar. Maybe not for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I've had that feeling. But then sometimes something will come on and it'll really buoy me. Uh, I flew out of Boston a few days ago. And wanted to get some food before I got on the plane because, you know, what kind of animal eats on a plane? And uh, so I went into the legal seafood bar, which also <laughs> serves food, which is great. You know, they got a hell of a lobster roll there. It's like $75. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I walked in, they were playing September Girls by Big Star. Mm, and I sure. felt so fucking old because that, that song was old when I got into it. Yes. But somebody knows to play that over some satellite station. In, in the in the in the eight thirty a.m. mix, mm-hmm. 
at an airport. <laughs> but then Jackie Blue came on, which I hadn't oh, heard in a really long time. That's a good tune. That song's got a weird it's got a weird space to it. It's like it's like those 70s cocaine songs that create this really strange environment that I can't quite put my finger on. I don't understand it either. You can't go back and recapture it. People have been trying for decades. Like, like Brother Louie. Like there's these certain songs from the 70s that like have such a weird space. And it's all it's all sound. It's sonically weird and like in both comfortable and enveloping and also like kind of emotionally cold, but in a way that feels like home. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I mean, you know, obviously... Baker Street being the ultimate. Example. I was going to say I'm, I'm going to toss in Baker Street, uh, and it's it's a psychic partner. I'm going to say Year of the Cat, mm-hmm. or, oh, or, yeah. or possibly Time Passages. Both of those, and I'm going to throw in one of the cocainiest cocainers of all time. I'm going to throw in Sentimental Lady by Bob Welch. Great tune from the and same album okay. as the cocainiest cocaine song of all time, Ebony Eyes. <laughs> Do you remember that one? The video yeah. with Valerie Bertinelli? <laughs> uh, you know what else? Uh, uh, devil Woman. Oh. Oh, yes. He's just a devil woman. With evil out of my... Oh my god. That's How some, did they do it? Do you think it was the cocaine? Sick shit. It's got it's gotta be cocaine. It's gotta be Cocaine the, and tube tube tuba amplifiers. And, but they were like they were they were chasing I mean a combination of like AM radio songwriting chops and all the time in the world with the best equipment and I mean, but honestly, if if I knew I would I would be trying to approximate it and everybody else would too and you know i mean of course like we we haven't even said like all of that fleetwood mac weird shit and fleetwood mac actually took that into the 80s i feel like we've argued about christine mcvee before I, you know i i i just want to have a different point of view but i i, I enjoy her i enjoy her comp- contribution to other people's songs a super lot yeah but i feel like the christine mcvee hits on the early 80s fleetwood mac stuff is an evolution of the 70s cocaine coldness Mm. But like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's music that never breaks a sweat. No one in any of those tunes is sweating at all. Mm-hmm. They're just like so cool. I don't. I mean, and I I feel like a, I feel like the like maybe Cat Stevens got the ball rolling a little bit on that. I, There's something like you know, it's um, who's the uh, Pink Moon guy? What's that guy's name? Yeah, that's oh, oh what's his name? Old uh, Bob Bob, uh, Bob Frank Mo- Bob Mooney. Frank, Bob Moon. Yeah, pink pink uh, old old Bob Pink. Yeah, the Volkswagen song. Yeah, Volkswagen guy. Yeah, uh, that guy. Bob, uh, Nick Bob, Drake. Bob Volkswagen. Bob, Bob Drakesman. It's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, and it's funny. Like there, I, part of this must just be because I was a little kid and I was a lonely kid, and I listened to nonstop AM radio when I wasn't watching TV. Or reading Encyclopedia Brown, I was listening to AM radio like yeah. all the time. Yeah. Snoopy and the Red Baron. <laughs> After the turn of the century, <laughs> I had a forty-five of that. Um, oh, sure, in the clear blue sky, and that probably got our early interest in the uh, in the German war efforts. 
Hmm. Yeah, sure. Right. Sure. I mean, that's how I got into World War One was the Ballad of Snoopy <laughs> and the Red Baron. I was like, I got to know more about this story. <laughs> Tell me more about this, Snoopy. <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> uh, there's all all kinds of songs like that that to this day I have such a specific recollection of like standing in a certain place, being like exactly a certain age. I know what season it was. I know what like month that was when that came out. And I, I don't know that some of them are just really fixed in time as these. A scrap love. Oh yeah. But, All that Captain and Tennille stuff, I like. I feel like my when I hear Captain and Tennille, that was the dawn of my sexual awakening. Oh, like the, the, the to, like the proto sexual awakening. Yeah, listening. Well, you to just Tenille. knew you wanted something. There was something yeah, I, there. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know what a what lady parts looked like even. But I knew that Tennille had was expressing a thing that I wanted to, you know, in a way that Abba was too polished and there were too many people there mm-hmm. to kneel and you know and the captain had that hat and the dark glasses you weren't sure what he was doing can he i just say that, the, the that if my name were daryl dragon i would not call myself captain <laughs> you'd at least call yourself captain, captain dragon, dragon. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's a no-brainer my god <laughs> fucking dragon but he's like no I'm captain. Like, just call me captain because <laughs> uh, I got a, my, I got, I got a hat. I got a cap. Mister Dragon's my father. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's it, you're right though. I mean, how do you recreate that that sound in that environment? And you know, maybe part of it was there was maybe a little more money around, like you say, to spend a little more time in the studio. <laughs> yeah, but I but but there's there's something lots else. of cocaine and, on the board. <laughs> and I think I think you've hit it, which is that there is an emptiness to those tracks where you listen to it and you can hear every element it doesn't feel empty it feels impossibly full all right but but there's space there's space between the things things come in it's a little bit of a holdover from the the restrictions of the four track where there's still there's like a lot of spookiness in the room yeah, and, and it's still like, okay, the chorus, or, you know, okay, here, the guitar part is coming in, and we're going to put this guitar part on the lead vocal channel, because we don't want to waste the tape space or something. You know, like, there's, it, it doesn't have the excess of later, where it's just like, well, we got 24 tracks, so let's just have 24 instruments all playing at once. Mm-hmm. It's There's still a little bit of that, like, okay, and then the acoustic guitar comes in, but then when it goes away, it goes away. And it isn't replaced by something. It's just like everything does a little bit of work and then goes. I don't know. I admire it so much. It is so evocative. What's that? What's the one on Rumors? The uh, Never Going Back Again. You know the song I mean? Like that's that's just like it's a a great creepy. A lot of the songs are, are, are a little creepy. Yeah. Close Harmonies. Uh, Lindsey Buckingham is intrinsically creepy. You know, but he and uh, Brady's Bits, uh, he and Christine McVie are playing on Sentimental Lady. Mm. Did you know mm. that? You can hear that impeccable guitar sound. And you hear, all I need is... That's Christine McVie. Because, you know, he used to be, when he was doing even more cocaine, I think. I don't know. I think his cocaine usage just went up and up and up. But he yeah. used to be in, in Fleetwood Mac for, I think, a couple years. Uh, who did? Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Bob Welch. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Yeah, he was in Fleetwood Mac in the inter interregnum. He was in the the transitional Fleetwood Mac. He might have maybe God. I know used to know this by heart. He, I, I think no, he, I know like he's he's not on Google. 
Yeah, I'm trying not to do that. He wasn't on Rumors, but I think he might have been on the rebooted Fleetwood Mac record. Let's go look. Let's oh. look at our friend Wikipedia. Right. <clears throat> Boy, he's a real creepy guy. Smoking that big cigar in those videos. Yeah. 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 He, you know, he died. Well, you know, that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of people have died. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you put it that way. You know what I mean? John Lennon died. That's yeah. a guy that died. Right? Trotsky, <laughs> ice pick. Ice to pick. To the head. Yep, died. Right in the eye. Boom. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, she, uh, 71, invited to join. There was friction in the band. Believe it or not, there was friction in Fleetwood Mac. I don't know if you were aware of that. Even before, <laughs> there weren't even any girls in the band and already fi- friction. In the maybe band. he didn't have anyone to uh, diddle on the side. <laughs> maybe that. Maybe he was diddling John McVie. That's why Christine got involved. <laughs> she was like, I'm joining this band now. Uh, what a terrible idea. Can you imagine that? Like having sex with other people in your band who are married to other people in your band? What a terrible idea. It's a pretty terrible idea. I have been in bands with gals that I have found attractive, even. That that Stephanie was was is a very handsome woman. Yeah, I've always drawn the line. I just feel like you know it's a bad it's bad. Well, it's work. I mean, it's yeah, it's business. It's work. Like what? What a terrible idea. Although there are all kinds of situations where it's like I don't like that guitar part that you're playing. I don't think, you know, and then the other person says, like, it's not, it's my guitar part, it's not your place to say. And if you could just say, like, let's fuck. (laughs) That would, a lot of times, resolve the issue. If you could Um, have done that with Mike Squires, just think how much, how much tension you could have released. Just just blown off the tension. And then it's just like, you know what, it turns out I love your guitar part. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I'm learning here. Let's see. Uh, in 1972, six months after the release of Future Games, the band released Fleetwood Mac released Bare Trees, which featured Welch's song Sentimental Lady, an original version of Sentimental Lady. What? On a Fleetwood Mac record? Mm-hmm. See, this is why you dig into the deep cuts. Yeah. Boy, what a decade. Although, I just am listening to this one song over and over for five years. So, I mean, you know, I, I was thinking about it. It, it kind of goes against my whole, like, I'm not a fan of things. Uh, premise oh you better stop but doing then, it then but then it goes all the way through to the other side of the i'm not a fan of things premise to like oh sure i'm a fan of things sometimes this is why i'm not a fan of things because if i really like something i'll just i'll just enjoy it alone for five years oh, and totally. that's not that's not the way to really absorb a lot of culture you know i met dan Harmon the other day oh wait i know this dan Harmon is the guy from the tv show that's right. Okay. And and I and I made the classic I've I've only done this a few times in my life, but 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 when I, whenever I do it, it blows up in my face. I so there were some there were some guys that were like, You gotta meet Dan Harmon. I was like, I don't I don't really uh, care to meet Dan Harmon. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, what, what are you gonna Dan what are you gonna say? You know? Well, so let me tell you what I said. Ugh. So they're like, No, 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 you guys gotta meet each other. This is really important. Like you're and I'm like, all right, okay, so fine, I'll meet Dan Harmon. So I walk in, and Dan Harmon's in there, and he's you know kind of pacing the room. He obviously he gives off the energy of being like a lion, right? He's in charge of the room. He's the reason that the room was built <laughs> to house Dan Harmon for this short amount of time. <laughs> and and I and I like that energy. I appreciate that energy. Here's a you know here's a like a here's a gray beard who who kind of feels like every room in the world was built to house him. Every room he ever enters, and 
and uh, you know my uh, interlocutors take me over and say like John Roderick, Dan Harmon, Dan Harmon, John Roderick, and I put out my hand and I say, "Are you ready for this?" Oh God! I say, "Hi, nice to meet you, big fan." Oh. Because, because I don't know why I had a I had a. Have, I you, had a, <clears throat> have you ever seen his program? No. Okay. See, that's that's what I was worried about. Yeah, uh, I have one time. Jonathan Colton said, "You really got to see this episode of Community, which is like the Christmas episode, and it, they do it as a musical." Mm-hmm. And he showed it to me, and I thought it was very charming. But that is the only one of any of his things I have seen. So I walked. You're not, around, and you're I, not technically, in the usual sense of the phrase, a big fan. <laughs> not really. And he turns. <laughs> somebody made you watch a show once. Somebody made me watch. And I could have said that. Hi, John Roderick. Somebody made me watch one of your shows one time. I he's thought got, it was he's kind of famous. <laughs> I don't know why. At one one time, the the, the, the hilarious one. One time, ten fifteen years ago, Sean Nelson and I were standing there, and a guy comes up. Uh, and says hi at a bar, and I mistook him for someone else, and I was like, "Oh, hey, man, great to see you. Hey, great show the other night." And the guy looked at me and was like, uh, "What show?" Oh God! And in the moment that he and he was a guitar player and an entertainer, but it was just a different guy than I thought. And in the moment that he's saying that, I'm realizing uh, that I had it wrong. And he's like, "What show?" And I said. Oh, all the great shows. Oh, no. All the great shows that you have played. Big big fan. And so Sean still, like, will every once in a while, you know, say to me, like, all the great shows as a kind of, like, as a, as a bit of a shutdown. But anyway, so I say to Dan Harmon, hey, hi, nice to meet you. Big fan. And I don't, I'm, I'm thinking that he's at this thing and that everybody's a big fan of his and that this is just going to be some social lubricant where I go, hi, big fan. And he's going to go, hi, thanks a lot. And it's going to be. It's, all you know, over. the thing is, you, you didn't go wrong in the sense that that is a really good generic thing to say to somebody where you know it's going to be a 15 second interaction because it takes a lot of the pressure off. Except that he shakes my hand, looks at me and goes, Oh, yeah? Fan of what? Uh, and I went, uh, um, you know, some of your old shows. And I don't get out. I'm like, some of your old shows. <laughs> and she says, which one? Oh, God. And, I, and he's, I don't know whether he senses that he's got me on the ropes. I mean, he of is Of course he does. He's going to watch you swing. He's trying to kill me now. I mean, I've just, I walked into the lion's den covered in fucking hamburger. <laughs> And I'm like, uh, uh, and then I'm, I don't even remember the name of his show that I did see one episode of. And I'm, I'm like, um, um, uh, uh, community. And he goes, oh, you mean the one that's back on the air now? Mm, He's not going to let you off. He's not letting me go. And everybody in the room is like, like watching a lion take apart a lamb. And I'm sitting there, like still, still clinging to this, the, to the, to the, to the little tail lights on the train of big fan that I see disappearing into the mist. <laughs> there goes the train, big fan, the big fan train. And I'm standing there, and I, you know, and I, and part of me wants to be like, "You got me." I've never seen anything you've done. I've heard your name. I guess I read it in Wired once. People talk about you like you are important and matter, and I just wanted to be part of that for a second. Really, just time to go for me now. And he and he just 
he presses the he presses in and so i i'm trying to convert and you know joel McHale is a long winners fan oh that's cool that's the, that's the star of the community the star program. Of community. And he and I have had many, many good times. He's come to many long winners shows. Uh, we've like, uh, we do a lot of, uh, we ran into each other once at Legoland in San Diego. <laughs> so Joel, did you decide to pivot to Joel? <laughs> Joel McHale and I have a lot of good history. And so I decided to try and pivot to Joel McHale. <laughs> this is not going to be good. Except, as I'm pivoting... It's like you brought in a different coupon from a different store. <laughs> as I'm pivoting, like, well, actually, I know um, a couple of people on your show. <laughs> as I'm doing it, I can't remember Joel McHale's name. <laughs> because so screwed. Because Joel McHale has a name... Kind of like Nick Drake. He's got one of those, one of those. My friend Marco calls it the Snap to Grid name, where it sounds like lots of other names. Where yeah. you could go, oh, you know that guy Joel Gray. Uh, yeah, what's his jo- name? John jo- McRae. Uh, John McRae, yeah. that great guy with the hair. Yeah, Joe, uh, <laughs> Joe, uh, Mark Hale. <laughs> and you're, you're such an idiot. <laughs> so, so I'm like, you know, big, and he's like, oh yeah, what? And oh, the show the back on the air, and I'm like, oh well, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of pretty good friends with a couple of the people on the show, and he's like, who? Oh, God. And I can't remember his name. And I'm like, and then, and so Gillian Jacobs, I've met her a couple of times uh, uh, in LA, and I fell immediately in love with her. Did I ever tell you that story? No. We were at the Chateau Marmont. And and, and at first glance, I felt like, oh, here's a little blonde actress. Like, I'm not that. I, I, I'm, there, I'm not predisposed to be interested in her. But we're standing and looking out over the balcony at L.A. And, uh, and she says, see that building over there? And I was like, yeah. I, kind of distracted, not even paying much attention. And she says, that building was built by the guy who built the original Garden of Allah, which is where Groucho Marx met joan didion in the and i'm and i was just like i kind of like slow take look over at her like you are blowing my mind right now and then she starts talking about the tile in the bathroom of the of this building that once that was torn down many years ago and over the course of of 20 minutes she reveals that she knows all of the architecture all of the historical architecture of la that it's just one of the many fascinating um little elements aspects of her of her uh like expansive intelligence that's no fair and i was like so i'm sitting there and all of a sudden i'm like well i i i'm in love with you are you do you have a a boyfriend are you a are you a famous actress of some kind um you know, and, and because I, I had never seen her show, I was not aware that she, I didn't know that she was, uh, uh, like famous. I was just like, you, you are extraordinary. Did you study architecture? Can we talk more about architecture? I would like to hear more about LA through your eyes, little guide, little guide to the world for me. And she just, you know, she's, um, so she became kind of this light in the sky for me, like, oh my God, there are, there are people like Gillian Jacobs out there in the world that are, that are like f- 
comedic actresses on popular television shows and also interested in esoteric architecture stories. Uh, so I'm, I'm talking it's a to Dan. Little, little late in life to learn that. That's pretty painful. It's, it, it was excruciating. Um, and I'm sure that she's dating some uh, guy that has expensive sunglasses. You know, it's just yeah. like L.A. Like, you go to L.A. and you're like, ugh. But in any case, I'm looking at Dan Harmon and I'm like, I know two people on your show that I have lots of stories about that we can talk about. And I can't remember either one of their names. And, but I didn't remember to not say that I know some people on his show. And so the, he's like, who? Ugh. And I'm like, some actors Ugh. that are on your show. And I, my, you know, and my, you can just you can smell the diesel oil burning out of my ears. <laughs> and he, there are other people in the room he could be talking to. He's but chosen he, you, though. I think you're gonna he, you're gonna be the sacrificial lamb, literally. He has. He's he plants both feet, leans in, and is just like, tell me more about the about the actors on my shows that you know. And I'm like, and I'm not even, I'm not nervous. I don't care about Dan Harmon in the sense of like, oh my God, I'm talking to my hero. I'm nervous because I am just fucking shoving feet in my mouth. I'm shoving like actors feet that I've met a couple of times (laughs) in my mouth. And eventually we arrive at a place where Dan Harmon just stops talking and I stop talking and we stand there and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him. And then I remember Joel McHale's name (laughs) and I go, Joel, Joel McHale. As if, as if to prove now you've finally proven that you know him because you remember the name of a TV star. Joel McHale is the guy that I know. <laughs> uh, and then and it probably just, ended right there, right? Well, he just <laughs> just stood, and I stood. We stared, and I and I finally. I mean, and this whole thing only lasted. I I can only imagine it was not very long, but it seemed like a thousand years. And I finally was just like, <sighs> okay, <laughs> all right. Nice meeting you, you know, just sort of like turn and go. And it was instructive that um, it was instructive for me that the, 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 that I I do a lot of that social lubricant of like all the great shows, big fan. Hi, great to see you. And I'm not a big fan. It's not great to see them. And I don't, I don't know. I, I, I picked up those habits um, from my dad probably as a way of just like moving through a crowd and meeting a lot of people and not remembering their names, you know, like counselor. Uh, it's a version of all of that. But boy, every once in a while, it's just like stepping in a bear trap when you when you. When you encounter someone who is prepared to turn around and go, oh, you're a big fan? Why don't you tell me more about that? And I don't know why, I don't know how he smelled it or if, or if he didn't, if he just like, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe initially he really wanted to hear me praise one of his shows. I doubt it. I don't know. Pretty, 
pretty gross. You you accidentally became pretty L.A. I did. I did. I did. Because isn't that, I mean, that's pretty acceptable there, right? To go like, oh, I you know, love you when you did the thing and the thing. That it was, was uh, it's, Yeah, it's totally like showbiz manager grease ball kind of talk. Like I, I was basically, I was basically cosplaying a lawyer. <laughs> Big fan. I worked with a couple of people on your show. You know, it's like, well, I kind of, you know, I, I handled the divorce of one of your gardeners or whatever. <laughs> I, 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 I like. Um, I'm no Dan Harmon, but I, I sometimes just you know for a little bit of a, a diversion. Sometimes I like to fuck with PR people. Who, mm-hmm. who do, oh, I know you. Who do, who do a similar thing oh, where they're like, hey, you know, uh, I represent the, uh, the CEO of uh, Blasticon and uh, mm-hmm. thought you'd be really into a big, 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 big fan of your work from way back. I'd love for, uh, for you to have a chance to have an interview with the uh, CEO uh, tomorrow. You get those kinds of things a lot. And yeah. I usually just, you know, hit uh, exclamation point in Google and market as spam. But sometimes oh. I'll respond and I'll say, wow, that sounds awesome. What's your, uh, what's your second favorite thing I've ever done? <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about like all the great stuff I do. <laughs> oh, my God, the way you help people with your website. You haven't updated in four years. That's, oh, my God, that's amazing. The way you help people. Yeah, that's one of the ways. I, I've had things like that happen, and it's, it's never gone anything like that poorly. That 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 guy, that's that man's a predator. Oh, he's total. He's a, absolutely, absolutely a predator, and he was picking his teeth with my shin bones. Yeah. Uh, after that, and you know, unfortunately for me, it didn't happen on stage. We were just in a green room somewhere, and there were like three or four people standing around, all of whom, you know, went over to see if there were any strawberries on the craft services table because they couldn't handle the the uh, the fucking smell of blood in the air <laughs> as i'm standing there like hey I, you know what i got a lot of words uh but we're not talking about anything right now that i can use those words uh because I'm, i don't know what i'm because i'm because i started because i i don't I remember words i don't i should have held out my hand and gone hi nice to meet you mm-hmm and then gone and looked for some strawberries myself. Well, you know, I bet life is hard for him, though, because, I mean, if we are a little more charitable about it, maybe it's that he really doesn't, obviously, he doesn't like that kind of phony baloney thing. Maybe he's not just naturally, not that he's like an asshole or something, but, right. like, can you imagine, like, trying to keep yourself in an environment like that where you actually are like you're like you or like me you're yeah. somebody who doesn't like having conversations like that and only does it in the same way that like you say oh like when you meet the queen or when make sure you say your majesty versus your highness or whatever you got to learn the right way to do it so you don't piss anybody off but like it's not fun to live like that it's not fun to act like that's a basis for relationships or business mm-hmm. so i mean you know i wonder if he has a reputation for being like hard to work with or something who knows i mean everybody seems to admire him and i certainly admire the way that he dispatched me <laughs> uh, but uh not enough that i'm gonna ever go watch a television show that'll show him <laughs> but still or not his, not his not anybody's right but um but uh but that was uh yeah that was really that was another one of the all the great shows moments where i feel like gonna be a little bit more a little bit more careful about showbiz and you know, it's it it it, it, it is akin to showbizing, but really it is like really it's like regional politics. You know what I mean? Like it's it's really a way of of making your way through a fundraiser 
Um, where I, I think being- of it. I think of it as being a little bit like. Uh, Maybe not a magic trick, but an illusion. Where, like, like for example, like if you're one of those phony baloney psychics and you learn how to do cold readings, and the thing is, like, a lot of people who who would be amazed what somebody who's good at cold readings can pull off, especially if you believe in the cold reading. But somebody who's good at cold reading can read you really quickly and then pull out certain factors that you're very likely to agree with early on. They end up giving more information to you, and then pretty soon it seems like they know your whole life. And that, that, I think in some ways when you're trying to survive in regional politics, that's kind of what it is. If you say something that you know most people that this person looks like agree with, you're already on the right track. Yeah. Where you can like lead the conversation to something where they're going to give you enough information that you can pay them a compliment before going and refreshing your drink. Yeah. I'm pretty good at that. Normally, if, this was, if that situation was reversed, if Dan Harmon had come up to me and said, oh, hey, big fan. I might have said, oh, really? Of what? Uh, I do that, that same thing when I feel like I'm being showbiz. Uh, I mean, but you can also do it, in and in a, in a, I do it, hopefully, in a non-dick way of going, if I get that somebody's actually you know, saying something really nice, I'll go, oh, which thing? Is it this thing or that thing? Oh, thanks. Like, that's, that's a conversation you can have. For sure. But he's making and, a guessing game. Well, and the thing is, if I had said, I mean, I have, I have Dan Harmon's uh, Wikipedia page here. If I had said, oh, <laughs> you'll, I'm you'll a, be ready I, for next time. I was a big fan of your animated Adult Swim animated television series, Rick and Morty with Justin Roline, Dan, <laughs> and Rob Schrabe, Schraub. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he would have been, uh, he would have been like, oh, Rick and Morty. Weren't you born on January 3rd? <laughs> what was it? 1973, right? Super big fan of the way you're, you're, you have a beard sometimes and a, just a scruff of I might times. be thinking of a different Dan Harmon. Are you the one who co-founded the television network slash website channel 101? Was that you? Yeah. Were you Emmy-nominated part of a thing? I listened to an eponymous podcast called Harmontown. Is that you? (laughs) If only had Google Glass, you could have been doing that in real time. If I had had Google Glass. (laughs) If I had only had Google fucking Glass. Anyway, that's my little... Oh, you know, in addition to Dan Harmon, I also met a guy, another Dan. Oh, yeah. I saw a photo of that. Yeah, I met Dan Benjamin. Yeah. How did that go? A guy, you know, I wasn't really familiar with his work, <laughs> but uh, you're not a you're not a big podcast listener. But I really liked him. What a nice guy! Everybody said that he was a that he was a uh, kitten killer and a Holocaust denier, but he's a really nice guy. He's very tidy. He's very clean. He's a clean old man. <laughs> um, uh, I'm glad you got to meet him. That seems like that seems like one of those you know Elvis and Nixon kind of things. It was really, it was really great. Uh, he, you know, and uh, despite his uh, famous tidiness, he wa- he he hugged me multiple times. Wow! And I am famously untidy. So you're very, you're very huggable, though. Who knows what he picked up from me? It, it was basically like licking a hotel room remote <laughs> to, to to hug me in the middle of the day. <laughs> I'm glad you got to do it. That was a really nice picture. And you get you see your your finger splint in the picture. Yeah, finger splint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to. That's uh, that that's. So how was the? Can I ask how the uh, how the event was? I mean, people. This sounds like church for a lot of people. They love this XOXO event. 
Uh, XOXO is a great event. You know, I go to a lot of things now that are somewhat similar to this, I guess. I, I had an expectation uh, that it would be... The, the new genre of the unconference. Yeah, right. It's like, oh, a conference. Right, okay, an unconference conference. It's like uh, full of people who make computer maths and uh-huh. um, they're talking about it to each other. Okay, I'll go to this, sure. But when I got there and went to the events and met the the uh, people that attend the conference, I was like extremely pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. Smart people. It's it, it's an example of a thing where where um, where some people put together a, an event where all of the it felt like a room full of people that all know that live all around the world and all know each other on the internet better than they know the people that better than they know their actual friends and people that live in their town and this was the this was the one of a couple times a year where they all got to be together and really be like really express in in meat space the family that they they feel like they are right and it was great, you know. It was a place where uh, where everybody got it. So I was I was very pleased, very pleased to meet all those people and have those exchanges. Yeah, it's it, there's something special about that getting to be around people, and I think it's it's a very intentional conference. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they somewhat famously have a, a system for trying to get to even come there. You've got, I mean, the heart of it is you've got to really want it. Yeah, you couldn't, uh, there were, it was like an amazingly douchebag free tech conference. Yeah, I think it's hard, not that, not that they won't be able to do this, but it's, it's hard to maintain that because it's expensive to do. I mean, I'm trying to avoid talking about South by Southwest, but, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's been to things where you go and then you go four years later and you're like, wow, there's a lot of girls with almost no clothes giving away cups of energy drinks here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, so it's funny that while you were describing the, the Dan Harmon affair, by the way, he did the uh, co-created the television pilot for Heat Vision and Jack. Which I recommend you see if you haven't seen it. Is that right, Heat Vision and Jack? I feel like this encounter with Dan Harmon is all the Dan Harmon I can take for a while. I, I don't totally, know if I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm totally if, sympathetic. If I go watch one of his shows now and I'm like, "This is incredible," then I'm really going to be bummed that that I actually am a fan of his. And yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a year. I'm gonna yeah. take a year off from Dan Harmon. I think it's a good idea. A Harmon sabbatical. Yeah, harmonicable. The the thing that I don't know, I I don't run into this as much as I used to because I don't. I try to avoid things where this is SOP. But the thing I hate is the kind of so you got the interaction with Dan Harmon that was awkward. But like, what's the alternative? Is you go and you have this this discussion with somebody who's trying to suss out whether you're worth their time. Yeah, and they're trying to roughly estimate how much money you make. I think is what it comes down to for a lot of yeah. douchebags. Well, and the, uh, well, but the thing about the thing about Dan Harmon is, I had just gotten off the stage and given a presentation that I was proud of, and he was the next presenter. Oh, but it was clear as I was being introduced to him that he had not seen my presentation, and so what would have been an effect, what would have been a good introduction was that the people say, hey, Dan Harmon, this is John Roderick, and Dan Harmon goes, oh, hey, man, I really liked your talk that you just gave. But 
I was, I was, I think thrown a little off balance because that would have been nice. But instead, he gave me like shark eyes, like <laughs> he had just entered the building. So then it was kind of on, like my, whatever would have introduced me. No, there wouldn't have been a better introduction than that you just saw my presentation, right? And since he, and he was looking at me definitely like, well, I don't, I have not heard your name, nor have I seen your, you know, name on credits of things that I like. So it's on you, buddy. And yeah, that was yeah. I'm not going to revisit this no, Dan Harmon issue anymore. Enough said. But um, I did feel uh, I did feel very much like I, I had I had actually at this conference a tremendous sympathy for you because at the XOXO conference you would if you had attended. Like you are a god to those people, <laughs> and everybody there, with the exception of Dan Harmon, knew me, and they knew me because of this podcast. But they knew me because I was a person proximate to Merlin Mann, and Merlin Mann is the center of all things. <laughs> and, it, and and it was it was very interesting. Uh, because it, because as I walked around the conference, there was a lot of like strange sort of fight club energy, where <laughs> where I was unaware that I was sometimes Brad Pitt, oh. because I was just walking around and people would I walk past a group of total strangers and they would all nod in unison and go, "Good afternoon, sir." Oh, they didn't want to get on your bad side. Or they just wanted to acknowledge, hello, we know you. Like, you know, uh, if you want clean food, I suggest you not get the clam chowder, sir. There was like a little, a, a little sense of like, we know to stay away, but we also want to, you know, show our respect. Like people would give me little salutes and stuff. That's nice. It was very nice. But what, what I realized, uh, and someone, someone pointed this out and gave me like a great, uh, kind of insight into my my place in these situations through these scenarios, which was that Merlin Man is the god of all things, <laughs> and Merlin Man is occasionally deferential to you, John Roderick. So if Merlin defers to you sometimes, oh. it means that you have there. There is a transference where. The, where you know, like the king. So I'm a kingmaker. But yeah, the the <laughs> king occasionally takes your counsel, and so you must be like a real uh, Mandarin. And I, you know, and I, and I that was very insightful of of, uh, of this person to point out, but also like very true. And if you had been at the XOXO conference, so this is where the sympathy for you comes from. If you had been there, you would have had to have stood next to an exit. Possibly an elevator shaft <laughs> with an elaborate system of ropes and pulleys where you could make your escape at any moment. Because if you stopped moving for a second, you would have been mobbed. I, that's admirers very and people, nice of you to but say. Like, but like, but exactly the kind of people you want, super smart people who are actually making things in their own worlds, you know, not mobbed by, by dummies, mobbed by people who really know you and love you. But mobbed nonetheless. Uh, thanks for saying that. That's I. I, I thing is, I actually uh, 
how can I say this without sounding like a dork? I enjoy that. I mean, I really, I like meeting people. I like going places. You said something in one of our very early episodes. I laughed when you said that you were an introvert. Uh, I laughed and laughed. And then, then you described an introvert, deciding whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or whatever, based on um, how much energy you get from being around other people. Mm. And I've realized that I'm extremely extroverted up to a point, And then I kind of flip at a certain point and I get a little like, okay, I need to just go watch some Cartoon Network now. You right. know, it's burning gas. Right. But, you know, you and I share a similar branding challenge, uh, which, which on the face of it is, is well, I hear, I hear people say this about both of us, and I can't decide how I feel about it. Because on the mm. one hand, it's nice. On the one hand, it's, it's kind of um, portentous. But they say, you were so much nicer than I expected. Oh, yeah, I hear that a lot. People say that about you all the time, and I've heard people say that about me. It's like, what What did you imagine? Like, did you did you think that I was going to sit there and make jokes about your mom? Like, what, yeah. what did you my, expect? My favorite thing that I get uh, from this, uh, from people who listen to this podcast are the ones that come up and they're like, they want to, they want to indicate to me that they know that a lot of what we talk about, a lot of what I say on the podcast isn't true. Or, you know, it's, 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 I think it's hard sometimes, the way I would put it, I think it's hard to tell sometimes what we're exaggerating about and how much. Right. Especially given that I never exaggerate. No, absolutely. And that, and that everything I say is 100% Gotta write, write that down. Okay. Did, did I, uh, did I pee in a Mickey's Big Mouth bottle and uh, give it to a sailor in a strip club where a girl named Lola was dancing? Yes. <laughs> Could I have made that up? Would I? No. Do, Everything do you I, say, by definition. Do do I go out in my yard in the middle of the night in a bathrobe with a sword and talk to raccoons? Yes. <laughs> what part of the podcast seems untrue to you people is what I want to say to people who come up to me at conferences and say, like, wink, wink. When I first started listening to your podcast, I didn't think it, I, I thought it was, I thought you were pulling our leg or something. I'm like, uh-huh. You're not here. This is not that you are. You are. You are big fanning me right now, but in the wrong. You're, you're saying the wrong thing to me. The right thing to say is, I thought that everything you said on the podcast was true, and now that I meet you, I see that it's only scratching the surface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the thing that, that I encounter, and I am. Uh, this is a really weird topic to talk about, but the thing that I encounter that I have a funny relationship with is um and you must get this in spades because of this program is uh people who on the one hand you're already almost kind of like friends with like you know you maybe even have had conversations with them on twitter or something Mm -hmm. like you kind of know them but they also want to address you in particular i'm guessing kind of in character like Mm -hmm. they want to tell they want to come up and say you got i got a small bag packed or something like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes it's hard to you know it's hard to to square that, you know. It's I like, like that. That's a kind of like that's a high five. You just like yeah, super yeah. train, super train. Yeah, they yeah. say it, they get in, they get out. If they want to sit and, and talk about super train, that's a different matter. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things you you can only really say so much about it. It's 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 not going to change uh, your your destiny. That's that's something that you're just going to have to deal with when it comes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Don't think you're going to sweet talk your way into this. Oh, you really can like, talk and talk and talk. Like but the, when it like comes, the thing you did, all the shows. The claw, the claw <laughs> does what the claw will do. Um, yeah, you know, I think I just, this is 
probably just, uh, no, it's not just, it's hugely a part of having, um, you know, family stuff to do, but I just don't get away for things like that as much as I used to. It, it's expensive and you have to fly. And I, I guess I've j- just gotten, it's not that I don't like being around people. I really do. It's just that if, if, if it's not paid for, you know, and to where I can sort of defend it as a work thing. I just, it's hard for me to make it to a lot of fun stuff like that. Cause the whole time I feel I have kind of a guilty conscience about being there, about spending the money, about being away from home and things like that. But, uh, I mean, I still really enjoy things like that. I just, I just, like I said, I just did a talk in Boston. It was fantastic. I mean, it was, it was great to go and meet people and have two people in the audience get, get a joke and stuff like that. It's a, it's a really nice feeling. And two, wait, two whole people in the audience got the, got a joke. Sometimes it's hard to tell you know when you do a talk i've just learned to really lower my expectations about what anybody in the audience will do Mm. it's best to assume that they have no idea what you do i think you know i often make the opposite assumption which is that everyone in the room knows everything that i've ever done and was going to get every reference that do you reference that in the in what you're saying uh i mean you know i i think that there are probably every show i do where i walk out on stage and go all right listen up Dick holes. There's a few rules before I do another thing, and one of them is shut up. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there are people in the back of the room who are like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" But I don't care. You know, like uh, my assumption is when I walk on the stage that it's you know I'm on the stage, not you, and I have to own the room completely. Uh, to whatever, to the best of my ability, mm-hmm. and to walk up on stage and be like, "Hi, um, for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm a, I'm this guy." <laughs> the most deadly line of all time. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. <laughs> yeah, like you know, my I have to approach walking on stage like, "Hi, for those of you who don't know me, um, fuck you. You're living <laughs> under a rock. Uh, how did you even get in here?" Because. Because I just I feel like I feel like you're you're already your weight is already on your on the wrong part of your foot if you're if you walk on stage and are like I uh, you know I, let me explain a little bit about how I got here. Um, well, I, I I did give a I did give a talk uh, at the XOXO festival to a room full of people where it was I mean I I definitely felt like thirty percent of the room knew exactly who I was. And 30% of the room didn't have any idea who I was. And 40% of the room was, you know, on a, on a spectrum of sort of like, oh, yeah, that, hmm, I think I've heard of that guy or whatever, or all the way to like, yeah, I, li- I, I know exactly who he is and I don't like him or whatever. But I can't do, a, I can't do my style of presentation unless I assume that, I guess I assume that everybody's going to like me. I, I, no, I see. Now I think that's well. I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I think that is something most people are reluctant to believe and to put into effect because it seems self-involved. But it's critical. It's. Yeah. I mean, like, in, in yeah. whenever anybody I'm with is nervous about doing something, going out, getting on stage, which is understandable. Everybody gets the jitters. But I, I was like, you know, you just got to remember a few things. W- one is that the people, you know, whether it was by accident or on purpose, have decided to be here. They've decided to not do other stuff in order to be here. They want to be entertained, and they want to be entertained by you. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you know. They want you to succeed. They want you to be entertaining. If they don't want you to be entertaining, you can't save it. 
write those people off. But there, I think it always helps to remember that like you do have an advantage when you come out, which is that people would like to like what you're doing. And if you start yeah. from that point of view, that's not self-involved. That's just trying to be entertaining. If you start by feeling like, oh, I've got to be defensive or I've, or I've got to like show my bona fides, well, that makes you seem kind of like you say, like you're on the wrong foot. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 particularly at a tech conference where there are people, uh, you know, I, when 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 you came up and we did that presentation with our uh, silly ass friends at the Seattle Interactive Conference, <laughs> um, where, that we, was where a, we met the uh, digital prophet. Yeah, where we met the d- digital prophet. That was a silly ass presentation that was somewhat derailed and. And maybe completely derailed, and somewhat derailed, somewhat derailed by one of our good friends. One of the one of the participants went a little bit rogue. I yeah, don't know if it was the, technically a mutiny. I think I think any any court, a maritime court, would probably find him guilty of mutiny. Yeah, I think it was a mutiny, and I think it was you know partly nervousness and partly like love of the microphone or whatever. Um, but so you and I definitely were on the stage. I was scrambling to salvage the event. And you were visibly discomfited. Was I? Yeah, you. You know, you. I wanted what, to help people. I was trying to figure out something useful to say. Yeah, you. You. You were. I mean, you, there were a couple of times when I looked over at you, and you looked at me and <laughs> grimaced, grimaced like you had just bitten an, into an onion. I, there's always the chance that you're going to punch somebody in the face, and I did not <laughs> want that to happen on stage. That could have hurt ticket sales. But in any case, after the after the fact, I was. Uh, I was on the internet, and I was uh, scrolling through Seattle Interactive Conference um, comments, and there was a comment from someone who was a social media uh, webinar expert, (laughs) and she said, I went to see this uh, group of um, people talk about social networking, or whatever whatever the premise of our the, the, the premise, was. as stated originally, was something like, "Hey, you guys are are wackadoodle pseudo celebrities. How mm-hmm. are you dealing? How are you using social media to try and do your work?" Kind right, of. right, right. And uh, so this uh, this woman, like online, said that was a total waste of time. It was just five or six guys up there who liked to hear the the sound of their own voices, and they were just. Wasting my time. I agree with all of that except the part about how it was a waste of time. <laughs> and I ill-advisedly, perhaps, oh, God. commented to her and was like, your time must be extremely valuable for it to feel so wasted by that hour of like completely harmless hijinks. But, but, the, but the sense that she had that she had come to this interactive conference to really learn, to have some takeaways that she could take back to her social media business and convert that knowledge into more business or something. I don't know. I, there, I, I had a sense when I got up at the XOXO conference that there might be people in the room who are really looking for new thought technologies that can help them be better app makers and that I was not going to be giving, I was not going to be providing any of that. Um, I was going to be doing infotainment of a different sort. But it turned out that the XOXO conference did not have a bunch of social media managers. It, right. had, it had people who were looking for new thought technologies of a different kind, the kind that I have. 
I'm kind of, uh, not kind of, I'm an obsessive about walking the room. What? Hmm. Hmm. Me and I just, you just did, uh, no, me. You just did I just, me. I feel like I feel like I feel like starting a sentence by saying I'm kind of, and then taking the word kind of back and replacing it with obsessive uh, is like, huh? There's a lot of there's a lot of room. Okay, in all right. Kind let me clarify. Uh, if allowed to do things the way I like to do them, I have a very specific way I like to do them about mm-hmm. which I will be obsessive. And I if I learn, and if I learn I can't do that, I throw it all out and do something else. So uh-huh. you know, I'm really into like I try to get there. Like like in the case of this talk, and it was it was kind of a weird, random, manic talk that I did, but uh, but I did made it manic because I thought that's what would work. So like I I like to go up and it's maybe it's superstition. I don't think it is. I like to go up and see where I'm going to be standing before people get there and walk around and see what it would be like to be watching this from the audience. I watch other people in the same room. I look at stuff like the equipment and what I can expect out of the equipment. You know, and in this case, like I learned, this is this was an amazing setup. They just built this whole this whole new facility at this company with this incredible presentation system. Like this amazing presentation system where you wear this thing around your neck, and it's got an infrared signal, so the camera can follow you automatically, so you can walk around. You don't have to stand in one place. It's got a built-in mic, but it was new technology. And I learned, like for example, this this is kind of boring, maybe relevant, but like I learned, for example, that when people saw this on a monitor. My once again, the slides would be the main thing on the screen, and I would be a picture in picture, like like a sixth of the size of the slide. Oh, right. So the thing is, like, does any of that matter? Probably not. Like, it, it, for most people, it wouldn't matter because you got your presentation. You're going to do in a certain way, and you just go up there and you power through it. And I, I don't know. I, I try to like adapt what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it, depending all of those dumb factors. Realizing there is a pillar, there's a pillar, a load bearing pillar right here, that where like 15 people aren't going to be able to see me. So mm-hmm. they're going to feel left out if I'm not if I'm not moving around. It's going to seem kind of weird, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that these slides. So I had to make a lot of like game time decisions. This is not like heroic, but like go, how okay. did you change? What did you? How did you? How did you alter your presentation? Initially, I decided as I do about fifty percent of the time. I initially thought I'm just going to throw out the slides and not do slides at all. I uh-huh. knew that the technology was new, and although these guys were very very competent at it, I still knew that they had only been kind of testing it for a couple of weeks. So I went into it knowing that. All a lot of things could change, like even while I was speaking. And that makes a really big difference to know that. Because, and why does that matter? Well, it matters because if you have a slide deck that you've put together where you haven't rehearsed it a lot, or let's say you even have rehearsed it a lot, but you're still relying on seeing the slides to know what the next thing you're going to say is, and you're doing that awful thing of like reading off of your slides. Well, you know, the, th- the problem is, like, if you go somewhere and don't do slides, you look like a dope because everybody expects slides, but the slides can be such a distraction. For, for a million different reasons. So anyway, even if I end up doing it 95% the way that I planned, I still have the somewhat obsessive walkthrough of knowing, you know, of, you know, and the, the dumb stuff, more dumb stuff, like dumb stand-up comic stuff, like trying to learn a little bit. Like I've said to people before, like, notice, like when you arrived at that venue, was it hard? This is a tip. This is not the talk. But like, notice, was it hard to find a parking space? Well, guess what? I bet you almost everybody else in the audience also had trouble finding a parking space. Mm. Did you have to go through crazy security? Okay. You already have something to bring into the room that everybody can share with you. That's a great jumping off point to whatever it is you want to say. Because you, right. you want to, more than anything, like no, no matter who you are, you want to establish what this is about and which things we're on the same page about. 
I so, have you taken two hits of mescaline? Probably. Some <laughs> people in the audience have taken two hits you of mescaline. You have now, dude. You're totally <laughs> dosed. I dosed the Milanos. But uh, I, I admit, for me, that's a little bit of a compulsive thing where I just, it helps me walk that stage. You know, walking that stage helps me feel a little bit more relaxed about it. But, you know, the, the pivot here, like I just watched this uh, documentary about Robin Williams, and they were talking about how he did his stand-up. I'm not about to compare myself to Robin Williams, but very inspirational for me as a kid. I mean, God, I wanted to be Robin Williams. And talking about like how, you know, again, who knows? This could be like eBay started because of Pez dispensers. Not true. But supposedly one time he went out and the mic didn't work. And that's one of the things that got him started on his whole like roaming into the audience approach that became a real temple of, of his stand-up was right. that he really blossomed like a lot of great improv people he blossomed blossomed when, when things went tits up that's yeah. when he thrived when things went wrong when the mic broke that's when he learned that he could walk into the audience and be maybe twice as funny as he was doing a you know a gay hairdresser on stage he got right. to interact with people in the moment and when that went bad it got even funnier if he met a right. drunk he'd bring them up on stage and direct them in a film you know so i don't know i always feel like it's it's you know, part of the the what makes people so anxious about going to those things and about uh, putting on a show like that is the, the feeling that like something's going to go wrong. And I feel like there's like the certain set of things that you can do that will help you be at ease, which will help put the audience at ease. And then, you know, you don't have to go up there and read your resume to make people think that you're worth listening to. Well, and what I have discovered in the last year is that the thing that makes me happiest is to do no preparation of any kind. Oh, I hear that. And... It makes me happy right up until 10 minutes before I go on stage. And then that last 10 minutes of before I go on stage, I say, idiot, what kind of person does no preparation? And I spend 10 minutes kind of, you know, fighting with myself where the other voice is saying, this is what you do. You do no preparation. This is your thing. And then I walk up on stage, and I'm so glad I did no preparation. But I cannot vouch for how um, I cannot vouch for like the person in the room who is the who is the most predisposed to be suspicious of me or or dislike my show. Uh, I can't say what how they receive it, but over time I've realized like you can't win them all. And the the best shows that I do from from a standpoint of like uh, where where I just feel comfortable right up until doing it, and then I feel a, a rush of excitement, and then I feel glad after I'm done. Are shows where I I, I, I do no, I, I I have no notes. I have no, I have only the the, the thinnest kind of sense of like a narrative arc. And I just walk up and and introduce myself, and and I generally do a thing where I say I don't like where the chairs are. You know, I walk up and I'm just like I don't like where these chairs are. Right, you go in and kind of assert yourself in the room. Yeah, like who who put this who put this vase here? This vase doesn't go here. And in that moment, I'm I'm trying to say like this stage belongs to me now, and and I'm also like now on the stage and so the so the the light can descend right the energy can start going and until i walk out there i can't let i can't un, i can't uncage it or whatever i can't unleash a thing but as soon as i walk out if i say if i if i say something like 
you know, this isn't where this goes. Um, you know, who, cho- who chose these curtains? You know, some kind of thing like that. It's, it's like uncorking the, the relationship, the ability to talk to people in the audience like, it, like there's just four of us there. Right. And I don't know. I mean, honestly, in the next year, I think I'll, I think I'll have a much better sense of whether that is genuinely a thing. Because I've been doing these shows at the Rendezvous, and I know that I have 80 people a week that, that keep coming in some combination to see this. But this XOXO talk was the first, really the first time that I, I got up and did a, uh, did like an hour long thing. Right. For a room more or less of strangers. Well, a room full of people who, for whom it's, it would be a lot to assume the reason they came to the conference was to see you. They, you know, right. they, they came to that day because they were interested, but it's not like 80 people who paid to see you in a small theater. Yeah, right. I am, I'm one of several uh, presentations, every one of which is sort of better prepared, some of them totally prepared. And, um, and I mean, even the least prepared is more structured. But you know, I don't think I don't think I could get up at a Seahawks game and give an hour long talk about my feelings and thoughts <laughs> and keep fifty thousand football fans like on the edge of their seat. Right? Maybe, maybe hmm. that's something to aspire to. But uh, but I felt like at least at this conference. It, it, knowing, knowing also not to search too deeply on the internet, but a, but a, but a, but a, 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 like a quick read of the internet in the in the aftermath of the show, there wasn't anybody on there saying this was a total waste of my time. I can't right. believe that I came to this thing. I, I um, I ha- I always think about. Um like when there's going to be a big s- swimming race and you'll see those, those uh, swimmers that before the gun goes off, they'll jump in the water. You know, I guess that's an old, that's an old, old trick. You know, you know what I'm talking about? So you're on the blocks and you're mm-hmm. ready and they'll do, they'll intentionally do a false start for which you will not be penalized. But there's something about being able to jump in the water and get wet before it's officially started that helps them then be able to feel acclimated and maybe huh. you, you could consider it, I don't know if it's, you call it a competitive advantage, but I, that, that analogy works perfectly for me. I completely get why somebody, why somebody who's a swimmer would want to jump in the water and get that shock off and then right. go, oh, that's what it feels like to go in the water. I can start swimming the second I go in. Even a pro, right? right. So, I mean, for me, like having something that, that – this is complicated because I, I don't consider myself like a great consistent um, – a presenter or, or performer. And I mean, I, there's a part of me that would really like to be, and part of it is I'm just not, I'm too lazy to get good at the conventional way of doing those things. Yeah. I think I'm capable of that. It's just that it doesn't really interest me to, to do that thing in the way people expect. So like, I have to feel, I have to interject and yeah, say yeah, yeah. lazy is this word that you use that I use to describe ourselves. And yet you know, you work your ass off. I work my ass off. And so it's, I, I, and I feel this, I use the exact same word to say, like, I am too lazy to put together an hour long presentation. <laughs> Except what I really feel like is that to, to achieve an hour long presentation that is better than what I would do by my, by my method, I would have to work 
I would have to work for for a month. I, I totally get what you're saying, and that's actually where I was going to go with this. Well, first of all, like I've got one. I mean, like I've got dumb throwaways. There's a throwaway that I've used maybe three or four times. Where in this case, like I knew a lot of the people in this audience that got introduced. I come out, and I didn't have like a joke about the venue to start, and so mm. I have the dumbest joke in the world that always kills. Which is, like, I come out, I look like a douchebag about to give a talk, and I say, "Is everybody ready to get rich?" And a couple people laugh, and I go, shut up! And for some reason, that sets the tone that I want for the room. I want them to know, that's me jumping in the water. That's right. me jumping in the water and going, okay, maybe this isn't going to be what you expected. I might, <laughs> just might This might get a little silly. Because I, I feel like a dick up here. I know yeah. I look like a dick up here. Let's have a little fun with that. But yeah. to, to your point, I, you know, it's, it's so difficult to talk about. Lazy, you're right. Lazy is a tough word because lazy has a negative connotation of meaning that you're, like, shiftless. And you want to get away with stuff by not... Not doing work. When I think lazy sometimes is a way of, can be a way of us saying there's a different way to do this. Yeah. And, and so like, um, on this podcast, I like a lot that I'm on sometimes the incomparable, uh, John Syracuse, Jason Snell, a lot of people use this phrase when they're talking about movies or they're talking about TV. And it's, it's a, it's a phrase from athletics, but applies a lot to storytelling. And they'll say, well, you know, the thing is what this person's doing here had a high, high degree of difficulty. So it may not be the most perfectly executed thing you've ever seen, but it was pretty interesting because they tried something a little bit different. And sometimes yeah. you give people a little more credit, something like in a, in a more fantastic way of storytelling. You give people a little more credit if they're trying something that is not what the expected thing was. So right. to the laziness angle, to me that means I the, the, the middle level of difficulty is to have a completely polished, 100% bulletproof show that never goes wrong with beautiful graphics, fantastic presentation. And man, I'll tell you, if we could all aspire to doing that, to having a show that went you know flawlessly and you got the 100% entertainment experience, it's just that the thing is if you don't put yourself into a position where you could fail by trying something different, a lot of the excitement kind of drains out of the room. It's yeah. really nice to watch someone shoe a horse who really knows how to do it, and you sure hope they don't kill the fucking horse. But at the same time, there's something nice about knowing there's no net here. It's what makes improv so interesting to me is that like on the one hand, okay, again, I could never do stand-up, I don't think, because I don't have the brain for it, and I'm terrified at the idea of having to go through a stand-up routine. The idea yeah. of improv is incredibly uh, exhilarating to me, because when it goes wrong is when it gets interesting, and that's actually kind of when I thrive. So and when I say lazy, I think part of it is also that like I could spend a lot of my least interesting energy and skills on trying to make this exactly what 60% of the audience would expect. And then I'd be evaluated based on whether it was as good as a Seth Godin talk or whatever, which is fine because the guy gives great talks. I could see wanting to become that, but that's kind of what everybody wants to become. So maybe it's a little cheat. It's a little bit, but I think it's also that that's, that's how I want to be entertaining. I want to be entertaining by going out there and going like this. And you just can't even know how I tear my hair out for the three weeks before I do any talk. Like mm -hmm. I'm a nervous wreck. I've done it a lot and I'm still incredibly nervous about it because I want it to be something that is, I want to be in that room. I want it to be something you ha kind of had to be in the room for as it happened. Right. If you watch it on video later, you might go, oh, that was okay. That was kind of funny or that was weird. Why did he do that? But in the room, I want it to be as exhilarating for them, for the people who can like it in the way I want to do it. And to me, that's what independent entertainment is, is figuring out how to do something the way, the best way you know how to do it in front of people who are prepared to enjoy it that way and will, will appreciate the level of difficulty in trying something they never expected that day. Yeah, and I, I have to keep, I have to not just keep reminding myself of that, but keep walking back to that 
initial premise, which is that whatever it is I'm trying to do, because I don't, I couldn't be a stand up either. I don't even understand how it works. Like you sit and think of a funny joke and then you make you, it, you try, try make, out 10 versions of it over yeah, eight you try weeks and make on it the road. Funnier like, oh, and, like, and then you try and work it up so that it seems like you're just thinking about it for the first time when you're on stage and you do that every night. Like I couldn't do it. I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to do it because what I think is great about f- being funnier about jokes is like, Oh, that just popped up. And like the best jokes I've ever heard are ones that just popped up. <laughs> Last week when I said in a meta way, let's move on. And you thought I was telling you, that we should move on on the show when I was actually talking about the guy you got in a fight with Uh to me, that that was a very funny moment because it was not what we expected. And we, we both misunderstood each other and that made it funny. You can't plan that. No. And Sean Nelson is amazing at that kind of humor. And you are amazing at that kind of humor where it's just like, pow. And that's what I like. But, but I keep thinking, you know, I keep judging my attempts at doing these improvisational talks um, or extemporaneous talks, rather, uh, by like, well, is this as good as a TED talk? Is this as good as as um, as is this as good as a, as Tony Robbins? Is this a, is this motivational? Is this like, uh, will will people profit from this? And I have to keep walking back to this idea, like this is what I am doing, and I am just trying to find a place to do it where people are where people appreciate the difficulty. Appreciate the, um, well, as uh, Syracuse says, like the... Degree the, of uh, difficulty. Degree of difficulty. You know, like, this is difficult. Uh, the degree of difficulty for me getting up and extemporizing for an hour is less than it might be for a lot of people because that is a, that's a, a thing like swimming or running that I can do. But it is still, like extremely challenging and and um if you're judging it like i'm sure i told you we played the independent in san francisco one time you might have been at the show or it might have been during that phase when you weren't coming to long winter shows because the sexual tension between you and i had gotten so high Mm. but i don't know if you remember this but i walked out on stage we started to play the first song and uh I tripped over my amplifier and fell backwards and broke the guitar that was behind the amplifier and like ended up feet in the air just uh, on top of a sma- the smash remnants of the guitar. This is four, <laughs> minutes op- in, <laughs> four minutes into the set. And I bounced back up and was like, hello. <laughs> Ta-da. <laughs> and uh, I read later a review from a woman where she was just like, I, they, the long winners took the stage. I'm a huge fan of theirs, but this is the first time I'd ever seen them live. Took the stage and they were drunk <laughs> and like completely unprofessional. They didn't play any of the songs in a way that sounded like they were on the record. Oh gosh. Oh and, boy. And, uh, and I just think, I just wish that they would like take their job seriously and put on a professional show. And, you know, it hurt, but I also felt like I couldn't. I couldn't put on the kind of professional show that she's expecting. I couldn't do it. And so I can't ever judge myself according to that standard because it would, it's just like, 
it's it's uh, like judging yourself against uh, uh, against against like this anonymous profile photo, like this blank picture, the little egg on Twitter. It's like <laughs> yeah. you're evaluating yourself against a completely anonymous and unknown world, yeah. and then wondering how any of like whatever seven eight billion people could conceivably not love what you did, which is completely bananas. Yeah, it's bananas. But it's so it's so uh, it's so maximum rock and roll. It's so this band could be your life to constantly remind yourself and it's absolutely necessary to constantly remind myself that what i'm doing what i'm trying to do has a small audience and that is not an indictment of it Mm -hmm. and and the fact that it has a small audience and will not ever produce massive wealth and dan Harmon is never going to recognize me and i'm you know my face is not going to be my calling card uh, with Gillian Jacobs, <laughs> I'm going to just be a guy who's doing a thing, and it's it's small and weird. But the people who want to be there really want to be there, and like that is that's such a a complex idea to keep in the front of your mind. And it, it seems illogical. It does because everywhere we go, everything we look at in the in our culture now is trying to be as big as possible. Or except for except for my friends and your friends that are doing things that are actually good that I like. That's what you're nailing is that there is an there's to me there's an inherent paradox. Whenever you whenever anyone hears me moaning about the the mobs that are out there, you know, in, in on, on the internet one way or another, what I'm what I'm partly moaning about is that there's the paradox. Which on the one hand, the the upside, the great side of the paradox is it's probably never been easier. If you have the interest, I mean I'm not even gonna say the talent, if if you have if you want to get something out there in front of other people, I would defy you to pull up a time when you would have a better chance of economically putting what it is you like to do in front of other people. I think right, that's absolutely. kind of hard to dispute. But at the same time, all those other people out there are doing their own performance, which is what they have to say about you, which I think is just something that we that we have to accept. The paradox yeah. part for me comes from people, I think – especially when you have moments of self-doubt, like we all have, you're wondering if you're able to do anything good, is that you start listening a lot more to the people uh, who are telling you what you need to be that's different from who you are. And I'm not talking about, you know, just morally, ethically, anything. It could just be that they want you to play your songs like on the record. And the thing is, that's the voices that you're most likely to hear. It's difficult to hear the voices of the people who are essentially like, I still, I still enjoy the thing you do. I'm anxious for the, I'm anxious to hear the next thing that you would like to do, which I I think certainly that can become a recipe for self-absorption. But it's really important to remember that nobody out there is looking for the most average version of a given genre. Nobody Mm. wants the, like, you know, the algorithm or the heuristic that's going to create the most lovable band in the world. That would be terrible. They've done this with pop music. They've, you know, I've heard these things where they take, what are the elements that make a great pop song and try to algorithmically figure that out? And it's dross. Bay City Rollers. Well, well, let's... Let's not go crazy. Uh, but but I, I don't know. I know it sounds like inspirational or something, but mm. like I just I think it's important to remember that like you maybe I'm not saying that you should go out and like necessarily love everything you've ever made, but you should remember that the people 
who came along with you so far were there because they found something interesting about what you were doing. Maybe they didn't love every, every song. Maybe they didn't love every blog post. Maybe they didn't love every video or podcast. But they were there because there was something about you that they found interesting. And I think just about the worst thing you can do is to allow yourself to become less interesting in the service of pleasing uh, a completely anonymous group of people. Because those anonymous group of people, they're never going to love you. Right. Like, all you can do is try to become a better version of whatever your fucked up self is in front of other people, and there's never been a, t- a better time to try and do that. Yeah, and I... I See, and this is what we should have done at that talk. If, if Hodgman would have shut up, we could have said this to people. Ugh. I love that guy. I, I feel like more and more, all I'm trying to do is to make Matt Howie happy. That's a great goal. And if I'm making him happy, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm in the ballpark of ah, what I should be doing. That is so fucking funny that you should say that. And the and the other day, I was sitting on a street corner playing threes, but the <laughs> diabolical diabolical cell phone game that you bought for me. <laughs> And I'm sitting there playing threes. And over the course of the weekend at the XOXO Festival, I was playing threes quite a bit uh, because it's now all that my brain wants to do. And it's keeping and you off the internet. Multiple people walked by and did uh, did a thing, I guess, which is now acceptable, which is to look at someone else's phone to see what they're doing. And then they would tap me on the shoulder and give me two thumbs up and be like, threes, am I right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. But I'm sitting, I'm playing threes on the side, uh, like outside of a venue at one o'clock in the morning, uh, sitting against a wall, crouched on the sidewalk playing threes. And Matt Howie walks over and he's like, you're playing threes. And I said, yeah. I didn't look up. I just said, yeah. And he's like, that makes me so happy. <laughs> and I was like, I'm doing the right thing then. I'm making Matt Howie happy. <laughs> Oh God! I will cut this out after I say it. <clears throat> I used to be. I'm, I'm not. This is not going to make it into the show. Okay. I uh, I used to be on a really popular podcast, mm. and um, you know, let's just say that I felt like there were good weeks and bad weeks. But there was a part of me that was like, I'm not sure that I'm the right person to do this anymore. And I'm just going to say it. At one point, Matt said he couldn't listen to the show anymore, and it had a huge effect on me deciding not to do it anymore. What, and what was his reason? What did he What did he not like about it? Oh, you know, it wasn't for him. <laughs> want to get into it but all i'm trying to say is how fucking funny is that that it was exactly matt howie saying you know yeah i haven't been able to listen for a while <laughs> and i was like okay thanks yeah Good that's to know. all i needed that was the confirmation you're, you're, that you're I my needed. uh you're my canary in the matt coal mine <laughs> <laughs> so if i try you know I, I didn't even really try to describe threes to you because i i knew it's one of those things like trying to you know describe the hallelujah chorus or something like yeah. if i said oh there's little these little cards you move around and you try and make threes out of them and you'd be like oh okay that sounds really interesting but what do you think what's your, what's your I mean, review you know it took me it took me um it took me three hours like you know you get it you get you get it right away kind of and then it takes you about three hours to sort of go like oh i see the i see the bigger picture and then after about three hours it's like right all right we're cooking here and i you know i got like yeah, I scored eight thousand or something. What? And I was like, Fuck I was like, you! Are you serious? You know the top scores are like a million. My friend Serenity got like sixty four thousand. Yeah, I can't crazy. get over. I can't get over like like eight thousand ever, ever, ever. And I've been playing like a lot. Yeah, right. Well, eight thousand is hard to get to, and so then I then as I got to know it better, you know, by like 
the second day, I couldn't get anywhere close to 8,000 because uh, I was overthinking yeah. it and I was like over here, I was over there. You got to clean this. up those twos and ones. I think that's a yep. huge key. Yep. And so uh, now I've settled into a kind of a comfortable, like, you know, sort of seven, 8,000 game. Oh, God, I'm so fucking angry. And, and, and how he was angry too. He was like, you've been playing this for how long? And I was like, I don't know, three days, four days. And he was like, you're fuck you. But what's crazy is that I have never gotten. What is the, what is the next one for me? I think I've, I'm at like got, the, like the two fifty six one, or I might've gotten the, whatever that next big one is. Yeah, five, five, whatever. I've gotten the five whatevers, but I haven't gotten Hello. the the, the one thousand. <laughs> I whatever. love when it says. Oh. <laughs> That's and what I so, know I'm cooking when I get the. Oh, I'm gonna get the one ninety two. But I really feel like uh, now I need to understand something else that I don't understand about it. Like I have to dig. I had to I have to dig deeper into the theory. <laughs> You're uh, gonna become a fan. It's, I'm, I, I play it a lot. I really like it. I mean, it's only been it's only been three or four days since I put it on my phone. I think but the corners I are a big like strategy. A so, so I'll point you to an article Serenity wrote about this. But I think one of them is uh, you got to work the corners. Work the corners. You're saying? <laughs> yeah. Does that help? <laughs> okay. All right. Work the corners. Right. I just learned yesterday that you can. Like kind of preview a move, pull oh, it, and not let go. That's huge. And watch for that little notation that uh, the plus that a big one's yep. coming. Uh, a big one. I like the big ones. Anyway, fun game. <sighs> you were right not to describe it to me because I had the the fun of of discovery. Boom, boom, boom. I hear it in my sleep. <laughs> I think we helped a lot of people this week. You think so? Yeah. Let's take the rest of the day off. All right. I, I agree. High five. Woo! <laughs> I filled uh, three coffee cups with pee. While we were doing the show? Yeah, I just added a mute button. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Very nice. And there's the Very real nice. end. <laughs> <laughs> oh.